So let's look at Hebrews chapter 13. You can go there in your Bible or uh, on your smartphone with version, uh, with our partnership with them. If you don't have a Bible, we would love to give you one. We've got some at the Welcome Center, so stop by and talk to her afterwards. Take it home. That would be our gift uh, to you. So I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation, and the text is going to come up on the side screens. In terms of what would a real church look like, Hebrews 13:1, keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers, for some who have done this have entertained angels without realizing it. Remember those in prison as if you were there yourself. Remember also those being mistreated as if you felt their pain in your own bodies. Give honor to marriage. Remain faithful to one another in marriage. God will surely judge people who are immoral and those who commit adultery. Don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have, for God has said, I will never fail you, I will never abandon you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, so I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? Remember your leaders who taught you the word of God. Think of all the good that has come from their lives and follow the example of their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So do not be attracted by strange new ideas. Your strength comes from God's grace. Jump down to verse 14. For this world is not our permanent home. We are looking forward to a home yet to come. Therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to his name. And don't forget to do good and share with those in need These are the sacrifices that please God. When I think about the question, what is the church supposed to be all about? I see four ideals painted for us here in this text. And for this language, I'm indebted to, in my thinking, to Larry Crabb and his book called Real Church, Does It Exist?, and can I find it? And uh, Real Church has many conversations also uh, with people here at Jericho Ridge over the course of the summer and early part of this fall. And there's a lot that could be said about each one of these four things individually, but we're going to power through them because I want to make sure that you have time uh, to hear the story of a member of our community who genuinely wrestled with these questions, and then we're going to take communion together. So the first descriptor, that I would use to answer the question, what does a real church look like, comes right out of verse 1. And Pastor Keith highlighted it already for us. The songs that we sang drove hard at this point already this morning. And that is a real church has a deep and vibrant spiritual community. There's authentic relationships, to use language from our core values. In a real church... People love each other. They show hospitality towards each other, verse 2 says. They're in one another's homes. They're willing to make sacrifices for one another. And perhaps this is where it breaks down at times. They're willing to open up their lives to one another in deeply authentic ways. In a real church, relationships are transparent. They're supportive. They're encouraging. People are not afraid to demonstrate 
brokenness and say to each other, I do not have it all together. And I'm pretty sure you don't either. But they say that with humility. A real church is a place where it's okay to be yourself. Where you don't have to pretend and put on any pretenses when you go out in public and connect here. It's a place where you can practice confession, both not only to God, but also to each other as well, as the book of James talks about it. I like the way Christ uh, in his book, he says, a real church is a place where souls connect, where shame weakens, where sin surfaces, where failure meets grace, where irritations soften, and where holy desire grows. And I think some of our disappointment, maybe as individuals, and I don't know what your journey has been with the church or what you mean when you say that, but I think some of our deep disappointments with church occur when we try to find those types of things in contexts that are not well set up for it. Sunday morning gatherings, they can't provide this level of transparency and depth all the time if ever, can provide a context to begin these conversations and where you can connect with people in a regular basis that you're having these conversations with. And so it allows you then to continue to deepen that level of authenticity over the long haul. But authentic relationships are risky business. And some of you may not be willing to go there with us at this time. And that's okay. But at Jericho, we're on a journey towards being a more intentional spiritual community. And if you want to come along for the journey, then you're going to have to learn to take some steps outside of your comfort zone and begin to let other people into your life in ways that you may not be accustomed to doing. You're going to have to take some risk. And it may not always work out for you. So I want you to pause for a minute and think, just personally, how much do I have invested in the development of spiritual community in my life. A small investment is probably going to equal a small return on investment. What steps might you be willing to take to grow in this area? I don't know what that looks like for you. Maybe it's joining a life group. And if you're joining a life group, you're likely not to bury your soul in week one. Maybe. I don't know what the life groups are like this year. They may go real deep, real fast. I have no idea. But in a, even in that context, you might find one or two people that you feel like you could go deeper with in a spiritual friendship, that you could talk with about what's really going on in your life. And they can push you to grow deeper, and you can support each other in that journey through the tough times. But spiritual community does not just happen. Again, it takes work. And your return on investment isn't even immediate usually. You get your ROI over the long haul with authentic relationships. All right, I could preach for days on this. So we got to go on to the next one, the second component of a real church. So we see in Hebrews 13, 1 and 2, there's this level of authenticity and this level of spiritual community that's developed. These people love each other in real church. Uh, also, in uh, chapter 13, verse 2, our second component is spiritual mission. 
You see, there's lots of places that you can go to find good friends and develop a deeper level of authenticity in your life. But ultimately, that's not what the church is just about at its core. Warm fuzzies for you. Look at the stuff that we're doing, a real church is doing in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2 and following. They're practicing hospitality to strangers. Visiting those in prison. Remembering those who are being mistreated and working for justice for them as if the text says you feel their pain in your own bodies. Here I think about the story of my young friend uh, from Tanzania, Adam, who was mistreated, and many of you know this story, um, and uh, lost his attack simply because he's a person with albinism in October of last year. And so uh, Adam wanted more than anything as a 12-year-old boy to go to school. And so under the same sun, the charity that I went to uh, Tanzania with in May uh, worked out to bring Adam over here to Vancouver General Hospital, uh, surgeons for the top surgeons in the province and nursing staff, VGH, donated operating room time to actually uh, give him a toe-to-thumb transplant uh, so that he could actually begin to regain functionality. And it continues to heal. It's kind of a bad picture of it, um, but uh, you know, Dave and I went to visit him uh, Friday before last, and the kid's just doing amazing in terms of not only his physical healing, but just the emotional healing and all the things that are coming along with that. And over this past week, he got so excited because Adam got to go to school here in Canada. There's a special school in Newton uh, for people who are brand new to Canada. It's full English immersion. So he's been there for two days already, and he is in, he's in the middle there uh, with the hat on, and just he's in like Flint, and he's loving it, loving it. Remember those who feel pain in their bodies, think about it, and stand with them in justice. I mean, there's so many amazing stories that the people of Jericho are doing exactly what this text says in verse 16, doing good, sharing with those in need. And so a real church is a place that provides an opportunity and reminds us to lift our eyes up off of our own lives and out onto the needs that exist in the world. That's why we push hard at global mission and local mission here at Jericho Ridge. Listen to the language in our core value. We envision the people of Jericho investing in the lives of people who are far from God, both locally and globally, and thinking and acting as part of the global community of faith. We believe joyful service is an important part of holistic growth in following Jesus. And so we walk in obedience to God And we actively look for opportunities to use our time, our talents, and our treasures for kingdom growth and impact. That's what it means to be a real church. That's why our students serve regularly, Gateway of Hope, other opportunities here in the neighborhood. That's why we provide opportunities every year for people to go to Guatemala and build houses and distribute wheelchairs to those on the margins. That's why we always, always, always as a church give away 10% of our budget every year to help church planning and literacy and translation in Malaysia, church planning in China, building orphanages in Haiti, working with troubled youth here in Langley, raising up workers for the least group least reached people groups in North Africa and Turkey and India. That's why we fund church planning in Vancouver and summer camps for kids who don't know Jesus and thing after thing after thing because this is a place where we are on mission together. 
both globally and locally, because that's just what a real church does. So let me ask you, how is your heart for global and local service these days? Maybe for you, it would be risky this week to walk that Sandy Rashad postcard across the street to a neighbor and invite them to visit next weekend. Maybe uh, if you flip open your Momentum Journal, look at page 16 and 17, you might want to consider this week saying, I'm going to pray for those people who have gone out from this place in global mission. I'm going to make an investment in their lives by praying over the long term. I'm not sure what God might be saying to you about this, but I know that as a person, I'm committing to continuing to grow in this area as God continues to lead me and lead our family and lead our church in this in mission. All right, again, I could preach for a long, long, long time about that. You guys are going to get me fired up this morning. I know it's Canadian Thanksgiving, but somebody should say amen because that's good stuff. All right, so Hebrews 13 lays out uh, for us what it looks like to have spiritual community, looks, lays out for us uh, some guidelines, just some suggestions, what it means to be about spiritual mission. But a real church knows that uh, doing good in this world has little redemptive power unless the do-gooders know Jesus and resemble Jesus and are relating to Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives and in our culture around us. We're not just doing good things in the world on spiritual mission because we're nice people and we think that would be a good idea. We're doing good because our lives and our character are continually being shaped by Jesus. And historically in the church, this has been known as spiritual formation. So spiritual Community, spiritual mission, spiritual formation. We've expressed this in our core values as holistic worship. Look at all of the elements in this chapter that have to do with my character and your character. Being faithful sexually and emotionally in marriage. Being generous and being content instead of being greedy for more. The list goes on. This isn't mere moralism. This is allowing God and the community to shape my heart so that I can run the race that God has called me to do with endurance and faithfulness. Because a real church is a place where people are thirsty for holiness and righteousness, and they come to learn to grow in God's grace and allow God and others to shape their character and speak into those places of weakness and growth in their life. And allow God, by His grace, to grow you into the daughter or into the son that He wants you to be of your heavenly Father. And I don't know about you, but I know that I need to experience the life-changing power of Jesus and to be empowered by the Spirit to respond like God wants me to respond. And I find that when I put myself in environments where this is talked about and other people are doing it, then I end up growing. When I don't, I tend to stagnate and I tend to lose ground. So how about you? How willing are you to let God chip away by his spirit at the elements of your character that need some shaping? Maybe areas of hidden sin, pride, or gluttony, or whatever it is that you need to attend to. In a while, we're going to be taking communion together. And I want you to begin now to ask God to search your heart and ask him if there's anything going on in your life 
that you need to ask forgiveness for, either from him or for another person. Because a real church is committed to helping you grow by identifying areas that might hold you back from becoming spiritually formed. The last point I want to make out of this chapter is that when all of this is happening, spiritual community, spiritual mission, spiritual formation, it's rooted in something deep. And it's rooted in a hunger for truth. A real church is not a place where I come that I feel makes my life better with a little dusting of blessings and religiosity or that helps me change the world or that moralizes the saved. A real church is a place that hungers for truth and hungers for spiritual theology, that hungers for transformational truth. And unfortunately, in our culture, I think a hunger for truth has been replaced by a hunger for entertainment and a hunger for meaningful experiences and knowledge that lets me feel religiously superior to other people. But I want to be part of a church that reaches not just my head with truth, but my heart with truth as well the truth of who God is and what he wants to do in my life and what he wants to do through me and through us in the world. I want to be called to live according to the truth so that, as the text says, I'm not attracted to strange new ideas about truth, but I'm called to creatively and diligently follow hard the way that Christ wants me to to follow those who teach from the word of God and who model to the best of their abilities lives that reflect faith in God in the midst of the circumstances of life. But the skeptic in you at this point might say, and you might be right, okay, well, Brad, that's fine. You are paid to say all of that stuff. Like you're on staff with the church. So, of course, you're going to get excited about spiritual community, spiritual mission, spiritual formation, spiritual theology. Like, you might be right. So, uh, I'm going to invite up a good friend, Kevin Clausen, who's going to share with you his journey over the last few years in wrestling with some of these uh, elements. And going to just kind of open a little bit of his life up to you as a community so that you can kind of get a window into this. Yeah, for sure, in some significant ways. So, yeah, this takes some guts. So I appreciate you doing this this morning, Kevin. So I shouldn't tell him. Yeah, you're good. So I shouldn't tell him how much you're paying me to be up here. I didn't even buy you a coffee for this. So it's been quite a while since I've... uh, Kind of been in front of, <coughs> excuse me, been in front of uh, a group this size, and even longer since I've kind of shared uh, any sort of uh, testimonial or anything about my personal experience. So it is, uh, <laughs> it is a th- kind of with fear and trembling that I'd say that. So bear with me as I kind of walk through a little bit of this. Okay, so Kristen and I, Kristen's my wife, she would have maybe, she would have a lot to add to this if she were here. She's teaching upstairs, so 
So all you get is me and uh, my side of the story. But um, we've been coming here to JRCC for almost six years. Uh, we started out in the cafeteria at the RE Mountain, I guess that way. Mm-hmm. Moved from there to the school gym and then lastly to here at the event center. And So there's been a lot of change. Um, Community has changed. Seen a lot of people kind of come and go, and so it's been quite a, quite a transition over that time. But uh, about five years ago, for me, I was completing graduate school, and and felt that um, that I needed to get involved in in the church here in leading worship, which I had done for, for a number of years prior to that, but had uh, had not done it at JRCC. And so for me, and unlike other people who I had uh, envied, other worship leaders who really got uh, encouraged by leading worship and really enjoyed it, really got uh, kind of just uh, fed by it, for me it was always a drain and exhausted me and it always felt like a sacrifice, but I felt like I, I, I wanted to c- contribute in that way. It seemed important to me. Um, so the short version is I continued in that capacity and basically just started to burn out. Um, there was there's a lot of things just on my plate, having younger kids, uh, being a full-time graduate school student, um, Kristen was working full-time. It was just a lot. So I, after about six months of kind of praying and deliberating, I felt like I needed to take a break. Um, and just as I was ready to tell Brad and Keith uh, what my decision was, wouldn't you know it, the, the two other worship leaders stepped down, uh, beat me to the punch, um, as it were. They both had, you know, they both had good reasons, understandable. But anyways, for me... Uh, I felt like I couldn't just leave that part of the church ministry, uh, as it were. And I mean, thankfully, there was there was others who kind of were stepping up and and uh, filling in that capacity. But anyway, so I continued on, and I continued on for um, for about another year in that capacity until uh, basically the burnout just it was too much, and I decided that regardless of, you know, an impact on the church that I needed to just step down, so I did. And I stayed, uh, I stayed away in, in not leading for almost two years until, basically till the start of the summer, and that's kind of, that's kind of the, the, the practical part of my story, but there's, there's something else, too, like more of a, a spiritual, emotional uh, part of my journey, which which for me, when I was burning out, at first I knew I started to become bitter and critical, but I just ruled it out as being a part of the burnout and just kind of saying, okay, Kev, you just need to take good care of yourself, exercise, you know, good diet, all that kind of stuff. 
But it started to just fester to the point where it was, it, it started to become bitterness, it started to become anger, it started to become disillusionment, confusion. And it was very, very convincing. And the primary theme which it rotated around was basically we're not getting our needs met here and so we should maybe go somewhere else. And there's variations too, but that was the central theme. Um, there's a basic principle in psychology. It's called confirmation bias, which you've probably heard of. And basically what it says is we all do this to some extent. We look for evidence that will support our perceptions and our biases and even if that evidence isn't factual or accurate, we look for these things to, to justify uh, the beliefs and attitudes that we have. And that's exactly what I was doing, is looking for things that would confirm to me that my bitterness and my, um, my disillusionment were, were actually right. And there was, it was a very... Um, insidious and deceptive because underneath it there's a spiritual piece where I mean I just wanted to uh, grow spiritually and legitimately started to feel that it, it could not happen here and so this continued on for for quite a while until last fall where we started kind of looking around a little bit and going to a few different churches and just kind of seeing what it was like, and all the while just feeling really torn between the commitment that we deeply valued and respected here at JRCC, but also all this other stuff that was going on. And it kind of reached a pinnacle this June where we said, Kristen and I said to each other, we need to decide one way or the other. Um, being on the fence is it's exhausting. And so we said, okay, we're going to give ourselves three months to decide if we're going to stay, if we're going to go. Um, and in that three months, we felt we had to let go as best as we could of the critical attitude that we had had. And instead, we felt really strongly that we just we, we needed to pray for the leadership. And we needed to allow God to search our own hearts to see if there was stuff within there that needed to change. And um, so that is, that's how we started. And then literally within a week, it was just, it was amazing because it was happening to Kristen and I separately. And then we would talk about it and we were blown away. I had also decided I wanted to do some research. What do other people say? When is it okay to leave a church? Uh, if it's okay, what, what are the kind of the things that allow you to do that? And I mean, I don't think the Bible specifically says this is when you can leave a church. So I was going by kind of other people's opinions, and pretty quickly there's a central theme, which is if there isn't heresy, there isn't, uh, it's not a cult, basically. Yeah, you know, the leaders aren't abusing the church members. There's not outright explicit sin, which uh, isn't being dealt with. Um, if it's just about personal opinion and, and personal preference, that that's not really legitimate. So that was, that was big for me. Second thing was, I felt like um, God showed me a hurt that I had towards leadership that probably wasn't very big, 
but it uh, it was buried very quickly with criticism and and it just it grew and the last thing was as I became more disillusioned with the church I started to give less to the church and I started to give out like to other charities other organizations and I felt very clearly that I couldn't expect to grow in my relationship with God if I was not giving financially to uh, to the church. And so these three things kind of <clears throat> all came together for me about the same time. And, and like I said, Kristen had uh, her her experiences as well. And in the end, we both felt incredibly convicted. Um, and so we met with Brad and Keith, we repented, uh, asked for forgiveness, and it was really amazing that the heaviness that, that I carried, she did too, was just remarkably different. And it impacted us on so many levels from um, our daily attitudes to things you know, unrelated to church, to our spiritual growth, to, to things like my sleep. Like I was sleeping way better. You know, it, was, it was really quite amazing. Um, and kind of a cool thing too since I've been getting involved again in, in leading worship um, and maybe this is kind of a honeymoon phase I'll, I'll chalk it up to that but for the first time in literally 15 years since I've been doing it I enjoyed it and that's pretty cool so not surprisingly I still have moments where you know I feel tempted to go into complaining or finding fault or just having a critical attitude. But what's what's amazing is um, I feel that it's God's faithfulness is pretty amazing to me because it's. Um, very quickly, I find at this point anyway, I'm able to notice that when that happens, that it's 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 deceptive, and and I'm able to to by His grace shift into more of a, an attitude of gratefulness, and so that's been really cool. Um, looking back, I am amazed that it's something that started off as seemingly small. Um, can just it can just grow and fester and to the point where you you literally like for me I was literally quite I was confused disillusioned I'd say somewhat deceived by my own thoughts I like I said before I, I really wanted to grow and I felt like it was kind of couched in this spiritual language of well if we can't grow here then we should go somewhere else to to find that and I mean I'm I don't like consumerism. It's something that bugs me, but it was interesting when it's yourself and you feel just um, the deception of it. It's, it's, it's very convincing. So there's that piece, and also maybe even more amazing, at least for me, is when I, when I said to God, okay, I don't want to be critical. I just want to be faithful to you showing me my own heart. Just how quickly that happened. It was, it was remarkable to me, and I'm incredibly grateful for it because it's been a huge shift 
uh, for me and for Chris and our family in, in a number of ways. So that's a, that's a bit of the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's thank Kevin uh, for sharing that with us and willing to be vulnerable. And, thing to do uh, to be honest about your journey and to express to a, a group of people where you've been at and what you're processing and so thanks for doing that Kevin on behalf of both of you guys as we move uh, into a time of communion Jared and the team are going to come and lead us in a time of response in song And maybe something that we've talked about today has uh, prompted some thinking in your own mind and in your own heart. I want you to consider, is there, what are the things that might actively be standing in the way of us becoming a real church here at Jericho? What elements in your life, what elements in my life might require some rearranging in order to fulfill this vision? And any reordering of our life always begins with confession, always begins with us speaking the truth to God and to one another about where we're at. And so maybe uh, today you need to repent of an attitude of consumerism, Maybe there's specific actions or attitudes that you've harbored that you want to say, today's the day I'm done with these, God, by your help and by your grace. Maybe for you, today's the day where you stand up and say, you know what, I want to be a part of shaping a real church and a gathering of of people who learns spiritual theology, who longs to be formed into the character of Christ who's willing to pay the price for spiritual community and to give themselves to spiritual mission. I want to be a part of a group of people who fix our eyes on God's vision for his church and who won't let go no matter what. So Jared and the team are going to lead us beginning with a prayer of confession.